1: Brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Welcome
0: to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. And we have another badass, kick-ass, hardcore-ass podcast for you guys today today we're going to be talking to john ianacone and he is from basically the greater philadelphia area he is out of eastern pennsylvania and today we're gonna just it is just a good old-fashioned bs session we talk about what his favorite cheesesteak is we talk about hunting property in heavily pressured highly populated areas we talk about hunting gear and, uh, so we cover just a little bit of everything in today's podcast and, uh, it's pretty simple, pretty, pretty simple. Um, if you haven't already guys, please go check out exodusoutdoorgear.com. There you will find a variety of information about Exodus trail cameras. And if you haven't had the opportunity to do that, I strongly suggest you do. One thing that I like about Exodus Trail cameras, and it was of high importance this year, is you turn the camera on and it takes pictures. It's that simple. Now, there's a lot of other great things and details about Exodus Trail cameras, but in the past, I have had... Trail cameras that for some reason slowly start to fade away over a year, over two years. And I didn't like that. Uh, I didn't have to worry. I don't like having to worry about whether or not my trail camera is going to work if it's going to take pictures. Uh, because ultimately, all the other bells and whistles uh, aren't important if your trail camera is not taking pictures. And so far, I have had zero issues with my excess trail cameras not taking pictures Uh, so that makes me very happy and they have a ton of other great you know qualities about the company and about the pod uh, and about the camera especially uh, and I hear guys say this all the time Um, I call the company with a problem they answer it and then they solve it Uh, so the customer service is at a 100 level, there as well. So, if you want to find out more information about Exodus Trail Cameras, visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com. And when you do decide to purchase, enter the discount code 9Fingers. That's the number 9 followed by the word fingers. And you will receive $20 off of your purchase. And lastly, uh, recently I, I reached out to a good friend of mine who works for the Quality Deer Management Association. And I, in that email, I kind of explained that uh, I got a lot of listeners of this podcast, and I kind of want to offer them an opportunity to be a member of this great organization that is the QDMA. And they, they said, yeah, we can definitely uh, work something out. And I'll get to that here in a second, but I think there's this myth uh, with the QDMA, that in order to get a benefit out of it, you have to either own property or lease property or manage property. And, and that is actually far from the truth because this benefits absolutely every hunter, whether you're a public land hunter or whether you're you know an actual property owner and everything in between. Uh, let me read just a little bit of their mission statement. Since 1988... QDMA has worked to promote sustainable high quality deer population wildlife habitats and ethical hunting experiences through research education advocacy and hunter recruitment QDMA teaches deer hunters how to improve local deer populations habitat and hunting experiences and there's nothing in that at all about having to own that property and I think that this is an opportunity for us to give back a little bit more to the, the animal that we all love. You know, whether you're a gun hunter, a crossbow hunter, a bow hunter, whether you're five years old or you're 65, 75 years old, I think QDMA has a lot to offer all hunters. So um, in this email exchange that we had, uh, I said, hey, man, can I get a discount for my listeners? And they said, absolutely. So for a limited time, um, I'm not sure how long this is going to last as of right now. But if you go to the uh, QDMA.com, that's the Quality Deer Management Association's website, QDMA.com, and you sign up to become a member, you enter the discount code 9FINGER. That's the number nine, followed by the word finger, nine finger, and you're going to receive $10 off a one-year membership. So I think that goes from $35 to $25. And um, I don't know about you, but I feel that $25 to give to become not only a member of a very great, high-quality organization, a well-respected organization, you're also giving back more than just your tags, than just your licenses and fees. You're actually helping walk the walk, basically. You know, a lot of people say, hey, I I do conservation because I'm a hunter. Well, yes, but no at the same time, right? There's, There's more work that has to be done on that. So... Go take advantage of this opportunity to become a member of a very great organization, Quality Deer Management Association. Head over to QDMA.com. Get out your debit card or your credit card and sign up for an annual membership, a one-year membership, and you can save $10 by entering the discount code 9FINGER. That's the number 9 followed by the word finger, and there you go. You're going to be a member of the QDMA. No more no more hesitation. Just go do it. It's going to make you feel good in, at the end. And uh, there's that. So, huge shout out to QDMA for uh, allowing us to have that opportunity. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now let's get into today's BS session podcast with John ianacon. All right. On the phone with me right now, Mr. John Ianacon. How are you doing today, man?
1: I'm good. How are you, Dan?
0: I'm doing good, man. Uh did you get out and turkey hunt at all?
1: Uh no, I don't do any uh, any turkey hunting, just uh, primarily whitetails. Just
0: whitetails. Is uh is it something that you've ever dabbled in at all or just not into turkey hunting?
1: Uh no, I've never I've never dabbled in it. Um I mean there's certainly a lot of people in Pennsylvania that go, but it t- uh, primarily tends to be people, you know, that would go up to the mountains or something. Um so in the areas where I bow hunt deer, there's there's not really any uh turkeys. Gotcha. All
0: right. And you mentioned that you're from Pennsylvania. Uh are you on the east side of the state, the west side of the state?
1: Yeah, so sure. I'm in uh southeastern Pennsylvania. So I basically live in one of the five county area uh near Philadelphia. Um so it's about an hour outside of Philadelphia. Um and High deer density area, but also still in the suburbs. Um, so probably quite different from uh, a lot of guys, you know, that are hunting in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, and very high population density, just even of people. So yeah, this area is probably roughly the population of about five million people.
0: In those in that four county area.
1: In the five county oh, five county area,
0: yeah. Man, that's crazy. I uh, I work for a company has two basically two headquarters one is in the town that are one is in iowa and one is in king of Prussia, over there on the east side are you familiar with where that's at
1: yes i'm I'm not far from there okay cool so uh i've i've actually
0: flown out to philly quite a f- uh, few times and then I, I go there for work and then um while i'm there uh, a couple times I've done, you know, the, the basic touristy stuff like run the library stairs and pretend I'm Rocky and go and eat the. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go and eat the cheesesteaks from uh, Pat King's and Geno's. And, you know, have, now I got a question for me for you. Being in that area, do you have a preference of your cheesecake or your not cheesecake, but your cheesesteaks? Or is it one of those things that's kind of touristy only?
1: No, it's definitely not touristy only. I mean, those particular places, like Pat's and Gino's, they're kind of, you know, well-known for, like, if people are coming from out of town. But pretty much anywhere in the Philly area, you can get, you know, your local deli or, or you know, hoagie place or whatever, you can get a good cheesesteak. So, you know, people ask, where's your favorite cheesesteak place? And mine is just, you know, the place we have here in our town. Um, So it's it's pretty good. also, it's a little bit... Like at Pat's and Gino's they do like Cheese Whiz, which usually at like a kind of a neighborhood place. That's they're not going to do that as much. Gotcha.
0: So it's specific to that those two those I guess that that neighborhood and those two specific places.
1: Yeah, that's my understanding. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. So uh, on your local your local uh, diner or wherever you get your cheesesteaks from, they don't uh, put Cheese Whiz on it.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I've never got it like that. So on my cheesesteak, I just like like a, just American cheese. That's yeah. kind of my favorite. And then of course, like the big thing also. Hopefully, you're able to get some of these when you're out here. Is, are hoagies? Um, that's another big thing uh, Philly's famous for. Probably doesn't get as much, you know, airtime as the cheesesteak, but it's it's probably actually a little bit more commonly eaten because it's not as unhealthy as a cheesesteak. <laughs> that's funny.
0: Now. Did your city, did the area go crazy when the Eagles won the Super Bowl?
1: Yeah, it, it went nuts. I actually went. I took my son down to the uh, to the parade because. Um, so I'm like 37 years old. They've you know my whole lifetime they've never won a Super Bowl. I mean, this was their first ever. So I'm thinking like, all right, bud, it might be another 37 years, so we better take <laughs> advantage of this opportunity. I mean, certainly I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case, particularly with the you know, the Carson Wentz quarterback they have now and the team they're building. But, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, you know, just a great experience. We had to actually go down the night before because uh, we had some friends who had gone to the, the World Series parade when the Phillies won the World Series a couple of years ago, and it was just a nightmare getting in and out of the city. So we actually went down and we, we did like an Airbnb place um, we stayed on, this is really funny, we stayed on a houseboat because it was the only Airbnb that was, like, even anywhere reasonably <laughs> priced. Um, so my son and I, we stayed on, like, a houseboat, which was it was a really cool experience for him. He's he's uh, eight years old.
0: Nice. Man, that is cool. That's awesome. So high density, high population of people. Um, have you always lived in that Philadelphia, the greater Philadelphia area? Is that where you learned to hunt, or was it kind of uh, – a different location different type of circumstances where you I guess cut your teeth on hunting
1: well that's a good question so I'm probably quite different from a lot of people kind of in the, in the hunting community because I, I grew up in the city not in Philadelphia city but there's a city you know like a half an hour south of there and so I grew up in the city and there was like basically there's there's nowhere to hunt um near near where I lived um so we would primarily we had a a friend who was a farmer who would let us like small game hunt but we had to drive like you know an hour plus to get there. Um so growing up kind of the whole like DIY type of deal was not even in my like vocabulary. Like that didn't even exist cuz back then it was you know you got to try and find a guy who has like I guess in the Midwest you guys call it deer camp or around here it's just kind of your cabin. Somebody's got a cabin upstate, um, and you try and get, you know, find somebody that can get you on that way. So sometimes we would do that, but, like, I had very little success deer hunting as a a kid growing up, like, in middle school, high school. Gotcha.
0: But you still went and enjoyed, like, nature and being outside and all that?
1: Yeah, it was cool. I was probably more into fishing um, growing up because I was a little bit more accessible. There was, like, a state park that was near our house that we could go fishing at. But, you know, to be honest with you, my dad was not a big uh, uh, deer hunter, Um, and so he was more into small game. And to be honest, bow hunting was kind of like a real mysterious thing. He would always tell me, he's like, oh, it's so hard to kill a deer with a bow or whatever. (laughs) So, uh, which, you know, it's true, but uh, so when I uh, got married and graduated college, I moved a little bit west, uh, still in the, in the suburban area of Philadelphia, but a little bit more suburban and not as city. Uh, and so I'm out in this area that was really known for at least in our, in Pennsylvania for some, some high deer density and some good hunting. So I was, that's when I really decided to pick up bow hunting. Um, and you know, it was a real journey in terms of learning. Cause I don't really have a whole lot of guys to kind of teach me. There were some guys who kind of walked me through some things, but, um, you know, a lot of it was just kind of learning by doing.
0: Yeah. All right. So you you mentioned State Park. All right. There's that uh, George Washington Fort something um, in that area. Um, not Fort Bragg. Fort.
1: Uh, Are you thinking of Valley Forge? Valley
0: Forge. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. Dude. Yes. I drove through there when I was out in, uh, out there one time during the summer, and it was right in aug- early August, late July. And there were deer all over the place. And I'm not talking about just, like, a handful of deer. I mean, they were stacked in there. And we drove through this one little loop, and I swear to God, there was, like, a 160-class buck in full velvet sitting underneath of this tree, and we were driving right by them. Like, they don't even care.
1: Wow, wow. Yeah, that that particular park has, they've got some major issues because the community that surrounds it is generally, you know, pretty wealthy and, you know, I think not super uh, hip with the idea of of killing animals. Um, So they have, like, there's a special program there where they have people come on to manage, um, at least they used to manage the the hunting there. But there are a ton. I mean, every time you go out, you see lots of deer
0: there yeah it didn't look to me like there was any management and, and in fact the guy that i talked with um who lived out there said you know it was a no hunting area at that time but that could you know that was like i don't know two or three years ago when i man maybe four years ago when i went through there the first time and maybe things have changed since then but um that's, that's one thing about pennsylvania that i i get this I get this feeling that, you know, everybody talks crap on Pennsylvania as far as there's no big bucks. But what I hear is there is a lot of opportunity to kill a deer because the quantity the, uh, quantity's high, but the quality of bucks is low. Is that something that you would agree with or disagree with?
1: Yes, that's something I would say I, I agree with. Um, and I think the the narrative that some people kind of try and, and push is they'll show like, you know, I I saw one recently, I think it was like in the one seventies or something that was shot in like Western PA. Um, and so there certainly are big monsters that are shot, but it's definitely not as frequent, you know, as somewhere out in the, in the Midwest. Um, and people's mindset here is, you know, before I really started listening to like podcasts and kind of really learning from kind of the DIY hunting world online, like, I literally don't think I ever had a conversation with someone where we use the word like mature buck. Um, <laughs> so, you know, which, yeah. So for me it's, it's definitely been kind of a, an information, uh, exposure thing. Um, but yeah, most people it's kind of still in the it's brown, it's down, uh, mindset. Not everybody. I think it's can be changing a little bit, but yeah. High deer density, but, you know you see like a mature buck that it's not impossible you're going to shoot one but it it's definitely more rare
0: right are you guys in a antler restriction zone
1: uh yes we are uh well let me let me think about that for a second you might need to edit this part out <laughs> That's um all right. we're not in we're not in the most uh most restricted area but i think we have just the same statewide regs it has to be 3 points on one antler
0: okay all right so so that actually goes into what you know that obviously helps you make a decision on what you're going to try to kill each year now as hunters we all kind of go into a season with different expectations what is your goal every every year when you go into the archery season what is your goal what what are you expecting versus, you know, I don't, I don't know, I guess, do you have hit lists put together or are you just kind of hop in a tree, brown it's down, or are you locating quote unquote mature bucks? How's it all work for you?
1: Well, I mean, there's like in theory how it's supposed to work and, you know, in, in practice. So this past season was like the first season where I ever took um, an inventory you know, with cameras and kind of had a, uh a, a hit list of what I was going for. Um, but yeah, so for me, i you know, I'm looking to try and get a, you know, a four-year-old if possible. Um, and on all the properties I hunted, uh, there were, as far as I know, there were like, there were two like hit list bucks that I was actually three, three hit list bucks I was after.
0: Okay. And did you... Did you run into those bucks? Were you successful? Uh,
1: I <laughs> uh, I was not successful in terms of buck hunting, so I didn't kill a buck. Um, I missed one, uh, which I was not super happy about. Um, I had a – actually, I thought he was a four-year-old, but um, after seeing, like, all the pictures of him, I think he was only three. But just a real nice rack, really tall. Um, and actually, it's probably good that I missed because he might, you know, really – gain some mass and stuff uh coming this year but um yeah he came in and i uh i he was he came in like it was like the first cold front in october um and we knew there was a big buck in this one area and uh he came in like right at the crack of of first light uh and i was looking through him you know kind of was ranging it and was it was just too dark to shoot and he was like A little bit outside of like what I was comfortable with. Um, and he kind of milled around and ended up about a half an hour later, kind of coming back the same way. And long story short is, I don't know why exactly I did this, but I shot the 30 yard pin and he was, he ended up standing at like 38 yards. So I just clear shot under him. Yeah.
0: Man, that happens that, uh, I've missed deer. I've wounded deer that never found. Those people who say, "You know, I've never wounded a deer or I've never put a bad shot i I don't think they've been hunting long enough,
1: yeah, 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 I was I mean I was what actually happened was I had ranged like there was a little spot on the ground and I'm like, okay, if he comes there, that's thirty yards, you know that's that's gonna be a good shot um and he ended up, and so I guess I was so fixated on thirty yard pin thirty yard pin, and then hes and then when he comes in, you know I had to stop him and I guess it didn't click in my mind. John, bump, you know, used to shoot a 35-yard pin or whatever, and so just, you know, clean shot under them. Right,
0: right. Now, back to kind of the, the terrain and area that you hunt, you mentioned it's, it's in the suburbs, so you're dealing with, I, correct me if I'm wrong, smaller properties, uh, higher pressure from people. Uh, yes, that's
1: correct. Okay. And, and uh, the other difference, I think, is Higher pressure from non-hunters. Gotcha. Um, Just like people pressure. Right.
0: Now, in some places, like I've talked to, I think I talked to a guy out in Maryland, and he said that there's hunting pressure and then there's people pressure. And the people pressure, kind of what you're talking about, the people pressure... Doesn't seem to bother them because they know that a guy on a trail walking through somebody's backyard or, you know, a car pulls into a driveway, they don't necessarily get spooked and, and blow out of there like they would if they, you know, like a, a Midwestern deer catches a hunter walking into the timber. Uh, these deer are, are, sure. so, are somewhat conditioned to have a certain amount of pressure. Is that the case where you hunt?
1: Yeah, I kind of like to think of it as, like, buffer zones. So, like, the areas where they're usually seeing people and, you know, people are frequenting, like, a park or preserve or something like that, um, they're kind of used to their patterns. And so if you kind of stay within that buffer zone, that's fine. But once you kind of get into where you're not, where humans aren't really supposed to be, at least in the deer's mind, then that's, that's where, you know, they'll start getting spooked. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: So, how big is your typical property that you hunt, or is it public ground
1: um uh well, this year, I have a bunch of uh public ground I'm gonna be hunting, but this past season um I hunted a farm that was about a hundred or so acres um and then another farm, which was um larger than that, but very abnormal that I'm even on this second property,
0: yeah, yeah, so are there other hunters on these properties that you have permission to, to go on?
1: Yes, there are. Um, the one property, I call it like semi-private actually because uh, I just got permission, um, basically just kind of the knocking on doors thing. Um, and the farmer, he's not a hunter himself and he just wants all the deer dead basically. Right. So on this one property, you know, there's probably upwards of like 12 to 15 guys, uh, who have access, um, or permission, but they're, they're not always there. And most of them I never even see, but during a season, uh, you know, they're on the property at some point. Um, fortunately for my work schedule, I can hunt some like weekday afternoons or whatever. Um, so that's really helped me avoid a lot of that other hunter, hunter pressure. Right. But the first time, like I got permission on this one piece, and I went around just kind of doing a walk around scouting. I'm like, this is going to be a disaster. Cause there were tree stands like every 40 yards or something. Um, but it turns out that most of those guys are like gun hunters. Um, so, and if they are archery hunters, they don't come out that much. And it's usually like a Friday or Saturday, um, so that actually turned out uh, pretty well. And then the other place I have, um, which is a larger farm, um, and that particular property has a lease on it. Um, and, like, reality is I really shouldn't even be, like, on this lease, but I ended up knowing a guy. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's very different. It's, it's very restricted access, um, and there's really only, like, two or three guys that hunt it during archery. Um, so a lot more, uh, very, very little pressure, but that's very unique.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. There is definitely a, a a difference between leasing and permission. Um, I, the, my main property that I hunt, I share it with other people. I share, and not just hunters, but like mushroom hunters, uh, shed hunters, um, People who just want to go ride a four wheeler and stuff like that, and it's amazing to me the quality of deer that are on it. And then, like, so this year I started thinking about, man, maybe I should think about leasing a property. But then, right. then you're, you know, you're you're making a commitment to spend a couple thousand dollars, and just like deer hunting. You don't know if, you know, obviously you can scout it. Maybe look at some past trail camera photos if the person that's going to do the leasing. Uh, but at the same time, man, it's like, it's, I'd hate to waste $2,000 or $3,000 or however, however, you know, however much money a lease is and then walk in there and be like, my other farm's better. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. 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 In this particular case, um, it's, I, you know, the lease fee is very reasonable. It's, it's very unusual in a lot of aspects, but I knew it was really high quality gotcha. because my friend had hunted there for so long. And, um, even just where it's located, uh, it was kind of like the, you know, the dream property. Um, so someone actually had moved and then dropped out of the lease group. So, uh, that's kind of how I was able to finagle gotcha. my way in.
0: All right. So on this, on this particular lease, how many acres, how many people?
1: Uh it is over it's like over 500 acres and there's like how many I think there's like six guys okay um but but again it's <laughs> all the Pennsylvania guys are probably going to be pissed cuz it's very it's very rare um that a property that large is is uh available and even is in like one block
0: yeah yeah and then how much if you don't mind me asking how much are you paying for your part in that
1: uh it's under a thousand significantly okay. under a thousand
0: okay, so under a thousand and uh you're getting five hundred acres, but you're sharing it with five other guys are all the other guys on this particular uh property are they like all gun hunters are they all bow hunters
1: um there's only other than myself there's only one other guy who's uh like a faithful bow hunter um one of the guys just because of his work schedule he's a big time bow hunter but he, he he can't usually get out much in the early season um so really it's me and this other guy that have uh have access to it
0: now when you put it in those terms that doesn't sound near as bad
1: oh it's it's really it's really good yeah um there is one. The one drawback, though, that sometimes I'm really struggling with is uh, this particular property. They only allow ladder stands, um, so that's so run and gun. There is basically like unless you're hunting from the ground, is is not an option. Um, and I think that's part of my was part of my problem last year. Is I probably should have like tried run and gun from the ground and moved around a lot more. Than you know, frequently hunting the the stands.
0: So is that is that just a safety concern that the landowner has? Like you're not going to sue them if you fall out of a hang on or something?
1: Um, yeah, I, I guess. I, again, I wasn't on kind of when the lease was developed, but it's just it's one of the rules. So,
0: I mean, that's that's odd to me. Anyway, whatever. All right, so. Let's talk about some gear. Because originally this was supposed to be a we kind of went off on a huge tangent there. I'm gonna chalk sure, sure. I'm, I'm gonna chalk this up to a BS session. We'll we'll title this a BS session for the for the podcast, but gear. We all we all look at to buying, you know, look at buying gear every year. I know a lot of us are are gear nuts. Um, we're pretty particular on some things and other things we're not so particular on. When it comes to let, let's say you have a need, right? Let's say you need a new bow or you need a new boots or you need a new camo or a new broadhead or whatever. What are some of the steps that you take to narrowing down your selection and ultimately what you are going to purchase for those, you know, for said product? Yeah, for me personally,
1: uh, well, the first thing I'd say is I'm not like kind of the a- gear nut when it comes to hunting. Um I don't like have to have kind of the newest thing and I'm, I'm i just kinda tend to be like really practical. If it has a real good practical need or use then I'm you know I'm I'm into it. If not, um you know I'm I'm not just kind of a, a gear guy per se. Um but in terms of the stuff that I decided to buy this year and how I came to those decisions, a lot of it was just doing a lot of uh, research on forums and stuff. Um, I've, last year I found out about the hunting beast, and then so that really kind of just really meshed with where I was at in my hunting journey of just changing, you know, to a more running gun setup. And then of course looking at a lot of the forums uh, on the hunting beast of what guys are using. And then um, like, I, I don't think before, maybe like last year, 2016, I didn't really even know that a, like a lone wolf, um, type setup, you know, climbing sticks and everything really existed. Cause in the past I had just used uh, like an old climber, which was okay, but you know, has some real limitations in terms of, uh, getting up trees that aren't straight, or if there's kind of, uh, vines or things that have grown up into trees, making, it, making it a lot harder to climb. So, I decided, okay, I'm going to switch to a very, you know, running gun setup uh, with climbing sticks. And then so I looked at some different – really, at that point, the only two options were, like, Lone Wolf and XOP. Um, So just read a lot of people's reviews on, like, forums, uh, YouTube reviews, and then kind of came to my, you know, decision of what I wanted to get. Gotcha.
0: So you mentioned Lone Wolf and XOP right there. Were those – two of the brands that you know you that you had narrowed down all the way to
1: yeah those were the only two that i really looked at um and uh again mostly from guys on the hunting beast um just kind of seeing what guys liked and i was thinking between the assault and the alpha um i ended up going with the alpha just because somebody had recommended like the, you know, it's not that big of a weight difference and the platform is so much bigger. You'll just appreciate having the alpha. Gotcha.
0: This is, this is a a kind of a topic I've heard two people, like some other people talk about, you know, they, they come down to, I need a, a tree stand that allows me to be mobile. Right. And obviously lone wolf and XOP are great for that type of hunting, right? So, and at the same time, there they are pretty much. There are some slight differences, but they are pretty much the same tree stand, right? There's a whole story that goes along with that, but they're for the most part they're the same tree stand. Why did you decide to choose, you know, to to go with the lone wolf over the XOP? It's
1: a good question. Um, I'm kind of well. So, so I did say that I'm not a gear guy. Uh, but the other thing is, like, I'm kind of like a pain-in-the-butt customer for people because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> so basically, like, I'm going to ask a lot of questions about the product, you know, of somebody, whether it's somebody from, uh, you know, like, for example, around here, Lancaster Archery is really big. Yep. So I'm going to, like, li- live chat with them to kind of narrow down something. And I, it just turned out with XOP, like, they took, too, like, very long to get back to me uh, and lone wolf was, that wasn't the case with them. So it ended up just being a, and it seemed like they were a little bit more, I know there's like a whole history there, but for kind of my needs, it was just much more straightforward to, to, to purchase a lone wolf.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. So was that your first ever hang on that you ever purchased or had you used different hang ons in the past?
1: Well, <laughs> for a running gun hang on, yes, I had, but I had used a hang on in the past, like a cheapo field and stream one It wasn't bad, but it, you know, it's like, you're going to set it for the season and that's going to be it. Right. You're not going to, you know, pull it in and out. Um, so in terms of like a running gun hang on that you're using with sticks, yeah, that was the the first one i would ever purchased.
0: Okay. Now, side question here. Why did you want to buy a tree stand that allowed you to be more mobile? And I think the answer is like obvious, right? You want to be more mobile. That's why you buy a tree stand. That's that allows you to be more mobile. But why did you want to become more mobile?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think for me, it really all goes back to like two seasons ago when I shot my buck um and like I guess that 'd be two thousand sixteen um it, you know it's for me it 's been kind of an evolution in my in my hunting journey i 'm definitely a lot further behind than most people um but like the other thing i 'll say is maybe i 'm just not friends with the right people or whatever, but for most of the guys that I know out here like i don 't know anybody who has a lone wolf um and most guys you know kind of burn out stands in terms of like you know, hunting them a couple, you know, frequently or whatever. So kind of this whole idea of like bed hunting, um, talk about like on the hunting beast, um, or even, so in 2016, so I listened to you guys on the, you know, the wired to hunt podcast. Um, and I'd hear you guys talk about like going into an area and like hanging a stand. And I remember thinking, what the heck are they doing? Like that takes so much work. How are they, like, hauling one of these heavy things in there? But, again, this is kind of like before I even knew that that type of stand was that lightweight, you know, existed. Um, I was just just ignorant. So at at that time I had a climber, and I had one hunt during the rut. I think it was, like, on November 5th or something. I was in a stand that was, like, preset, and I had a buck come in, um, and he was – cracking a he was you know on the scent of a doe or whatever and I grunted at him and couldn't get him to come and then you know for the next like 15-20 minutes I heard him kind of go into this like small creek bed or ditch and he was just making a ton of noise running this doe up and down this creek bed um and I you know this is probably like 10 11 a.m uh and I said to myself I'm like and I had packed my climber in my trunk, and so I said, "I think I should get down and move my move move and get into another stand uh near where I think this this buck is is holed up with this doe because the noise like went away and so but again, kind of coming from my limited knowledge um in terms of this type of running gun hunting it kind of the cardinal rule also was like you know don't ever get out of your stand all day." Cause you know, middle of the day is the best time or whatever. Um, so whatever. I'm like, I, I, I knew there was a bedding area back there. Um, so again, I'm having this theory that he's holed up with this doe. So I go to the car, get my climber and I use some information I had from before from a hunt. Like I think, I think this was on a Monday and, and the hunt, like on Friday I had seen this one kind of crossing trail on the stream. So, when it, it wasn't like an observation set, but it kind of functioned like that. So I went down and set up like at this one point where the, they were ended up crossing a lot of deer were crossing the Creek there. And so I, yeah, just set up, climbed a tree. This is probably, you know, like by the time I got down there, like one o'clock or something, hiked, you know, in set up all the way up the tree. And then what do you know, like uh, about 45 minutes before, uh, shooting light ends. This doe comes out of the bedding area. Um, and I was actually going to shoot her. I didn't know that she was with the buck, but then the buck comes out and the buck that I'd seen earlier in the morning. And he, she looked right up at me. Um, the tree wasn't great cause there wasn't a lot of cover, but then, uh, you know, I think cause she was distracted because of the buck. He never like really paid me any attention. And then he, you know, just basically walked right past me and I ended up, uh, taking him. So don't you love that?
0: That's like, that's, that is such a reinforcement for the mobile style hunting, right? You moved, you were successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And for, but for me, that was a huge like light bulb moment because I had never done anything like that before. I would never like make that bold of a move to get that close, you know, particularly during the rut. Um, but it, it ended up work working out really well. And it really just turned a whole light bulb on for me in terms of trying to get, you know, of course, closer to bedding and then the need to move to move quickly.
0: Nice, that's awesome, man. Um, so that's obvious, you know that that piece of equipment that that gear helped you become more successful because of you know you kind of changed your style. Is there any other maybe product out there that you have? used or like maybe recently over the past five years or something like that, that has kind of been a either you've had one of those light bulb moments or it has allowed you to get closer to deer or become a better hunter.
1: Um, yeah, I I can't think, I can't say like off the top of my head that anything was as influential as, as, um, you know, using a, a running gun setup. Right. Okay. All right.
0: Now, you mentioned something a little bit about, you know, you're not necessarily a gear nut, but you, you like things that are practical. Now, are you the kind of guy who would ever use, you know, Zonics or spend the money on a, like a, a a Sitka setup? Uh,
1: probably not. Um, I think, the, so one of the, I think so one of my frustrations kind of with the hunting industry is I've always seen hunting is, you know, it's like, it's a blue collar sport, right. you know, it's like for guys who like to get dirty and stuff. And like a lot of guys in this area golf and I'm not a big golf fan, <laughs> uh, but it's kind of like hunting is getting so kind of specialized gear wise that, um, sometimes I feel like, man, this is like a golf thing. Like it's, right. stuff is so expensive. So, um, probably I would say no on, on both of those. Um, maybe, you know, if I had, I, I do have issues with, uh, staying warm, uh, because ten, I tend to kind of do the bubble boy, uh, kind of setup up where I just, like, I have, uh, an old, uh, a scent lock, you know, like a coverall suit, and then I'll just put all kinds of layers under that. Right. Um, And it is a real pain in the butt in terms of, you know, because you got to carry it all in, so you're not sweating, and then you kind of progressively, or at least I do, put it on as it gets, you know, as my body cools down. Um, so I definitely see the practicality of of you know a set set up like Sitka, but for me, it's it's just not in the budget at this time. Right. Okay.
0: Let's see here. Wireless trail cameras. You brought this up in your in your message to me as well. Is that something that sure. you've played around with?
1: Yeah. So, before, you know, I'd heard about it and I was kind of like, oh, this is, you know, it seems like such a great idea. Um, and the price, at least of the unit that I bought, was not like ridiculous, um, you know, like 500 bucks or something. Uh, so I decided to, to try it. Um, and so I had basically one, one year experience of using, I, I bought the, uh, Bushnell, uh, I think it's called the Bushnell aggressor wireless one. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: And how did that work for you? How did you use it?
1: Um, yeah, I would say overall my experience was like pretty good. Um, the, it's easy to set up, uh, it, it, yeah, I think it needs, like, eight batteries, so I ended up just buying, you know, like, kind of one of those bulk sets from Amazon. But the thing I will say about that, because I did read up that people are like, when you buy some batteries from Amazon, if they're in bulk, a lot of times they don't look like original, uh, like, energizers or whatever, lithiums. Yeah. Um. So that's just something, you know, to... to keep watch of, but like i had my dad let me borrow his like battery testers so i tested them all before i uh put them in and yeah overall it went well i guess it already comes with like the sim card uh stuck in it's already inserted in there um and you know setting up the data plan and everything was not difficult um so it's in terms of the functionality pretty 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 easy pretty advantageous because on this one property um Just getting in to check a trail cam, uh, depending on where it's at, particularly if you're at the area that there's, like, kind of different access points. But uh, for this one area where the bucks kind of hang out, it's, like, you know, almost, like, you know, half a mile walk in. So anything I can do to kind of lessen the trip out there just to check a camera, you know, that's a a win in my book. Um, But I will say I think the whole – you know, perspective people have that like, Oh, you you know, you're going to know, like I thought even myself, like I'll find some bedding area, I'll put it in, you know, I'll know when the buck goes into the bedding area and when he's in there and I'm gonna get the picture on my phone, I'm going to go right back out and I'm going to, I'm going to smoke him when he comes out, you know? And, you know, of course a lot of people think for like fairness, like, well, I don't know about how well that works. Well, at least in my experience, it didn't, work at all that way you know i don't have great luck with like setting cameras and uh you know particularly great areas where it's going to get a lot of traffic and everything uh so that in terms of the functionality of the unit was great in terms of how i utilized it i felt was kind of a bit of a bust yeah yeah
0: do you have any um, i take it the location that you're at you get some really good cell coverage did you have any type of issues with reception
1: i did actually you know it's kind of surprising you would think kind of being in this more suburban area uh that that wouldn't be an issue but um on this one farm where i wanted to put it there's like kind of a ravine or i guess you guys out in the midwest maybe call it like a draw and when i was kind of down in there like that was one of the harder things, even in a good reception area. It seemed like it took quite a while to find the, to, you know, find the network or whatever. Gotcha. Um, so, and it always, you know, I have a couple kids and my times, you know, limited. So when I'm out kind of setting one up or something, it's always like I'm rushing and yeah. kind of wish it wasn't like that, but I'm rushing and then I can't like, it's like, I can't sit in this, you know, draw for like 15 minutes trying to see if this thing's going to connect. Right. So then I had to kind of move it further uphill. Right. Yeah, it makes sense, man.
0: That's one thing that I've always, like, I'm going to be getting some cell cameras, I think, this summer. Uh, I'm not sure when yet, but I'm going to play around with them during the summer to see where I can start getting some of these, um, you know, where I can get reception. But I, I hunt a lot of river bottom ground, so I'm just concerned okay. that no matter what, no, no matter what the reception is, I'm just not going to get reception down in in the bottom. you know, in some of these deep hollows, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now I had also, I, I use some other like cheapo cameras just to get, um, maybe like inventory or to monitor like a certain area. I know you've had some bad luck with getting cameras stolen. Uh, so on my one farm where there are other guys, I knew that 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 was, you know, a possibility because I don't like – except for one guy, I don't like know any of these other dudes. Um, And so I basically – that's where it's funny. I use my lone wolf sticks. um, Like I'd climb basically like two sticks high and then attach the camera to a tree. Um, I read somewhere online that if you use like – I forget what it's called, like tie wire. It's like metal wire. So instead of a strap, it really does uh, eliminate – Uh, how visible the camera is. The camera blends in much, much more to the, you know, surroundings and isn't as obvious. So fortunately on this one property, I think I had about three at one time and none of them were stolen. Um, But they, it it was a real pain in terms of having to go out and and climb up, you know, not just go into the woods to get the, to pull the card, but you got to climb all the way up. Um, So it's, you know, it's kind of can be a trade off there. Right,
0: right. Well, we're kind of running out of time here, so I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. What is your goal for the 2018 archery season?
1: Yeah, so for 2018, um, I mean, I'm also, the thing I should also say is I'm also a meat hunter, so this past year I did shoot like two does, um, so I always like to have, you know, meat in the freezer, um, but I'd like to shoot a couple does this year, and then I'd like to be able to take down one of these uh, mature bucks uh, that we've already identified. There was one that appeared on this larger farm that I have access to with the lease. Um, I got sick during the rut and so wasn't, uh, wasn't able to hunt, but he actually walked. I had a picture of him walking, coming right past, uh, one of the stands. Um, and he was like, he was tracking a doe that was in heat. And it's funny because we had a couple pictures of him and you can actually see when he picks up the doe's scent and then he changes direction and bolts, you know, basically following her. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, I can use some of that, you know, historical quote unquote information, um, this year and knowing when exactly to get in there. Um, and I did find his, I found what I believe is his bed, or it's at least one of the mature bucks on the property's bed. So I'd love to be able to get a crack at a, at a mature buck um that i you know i'm beginning to have some history with absolutely man well let me be the first to
0: wish you good luck on this uh upcoming season you mentioned your son is what you said eight years old yes he's eight yeah okay is he is he been spending some time with his daddy out in the woods
1: um <laughs> well you know one of the things that's having as you know like so many kids is uh you know the wife needs some break time. So, uh, saying, you know, Hey, I got to go burn like four hours going to scout someplace. Um, you know, after a a whole week of her being with the kids and working and stuff is not always well received. So I'm trying to do more stuff with my kids. Um, but kind of the scouting and going through briars and stuff, they're not so into that. So he's got a couple more years, I think before he's going to be really ready to go. Um, I had my daughter, who's she's six. She actually, I think, will be ready before he he is, because she can sit still. He's real active and he doesn't <laughs> like to sit still.
0: Absolutely, man. Well, I tell you what, John, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and BS with me.
1: Yeah, man, sure. I just I really like what you guys are doing there, and listen to a ton of podcasts. I mean. I do, you know, like everybody else, a good bit of driving. Um, so, you know, it's a lot better than listening to, like, sports radio. Uh, there are not a whole lot of options. Right. So, yeah, it's it's been a really in my journey of kind of learning to be a better hunter, which is obviously always a process. Uh, podcasts have been a huge way um, that I've learned just a ton. So, appreciate all you're doing and there you
0: have it ladies and gentlemen another great podcast huge shout out to John for hopping on and chatting with us today huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast Deer Lab, Lone Wolf Ozonix, Wasp Ripcord and Exodus Trail Cameras man without those companies this is not possible so please go out and support the companies that support this podcast what else do I have to say Uh, thank you For taking time to download and listen to this podcast please go subscribe to not only the whitetail feed but the big game western feed as well on the sportsman's nation and subscribe 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 tell all of your friends about the podcast be sure to check out the blog on the sportsman's nation.com a lot of great content coming through that channel as well now what else? I think that's it, man. I'm, uh, go check out all everything on social media, Instagram and Facebook. And if you're going to be in a tree, please, for the love of God, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of your week.